Hey everyone, and welcome to Shy and Salty with your hosts, Nikki and Rhea, where we talk through our journeys of learning, unlearning, and relearning in order to help you through yours. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. So today we have Faye Magpeo on, who is a personal trainer and nutritionist based out of, not Melbourne, Melbourne, Australia. Yes! I know how to pronounce it. (laughs) So one of my favorite things about social media, and especially Instagram, is the opportunity to like learn from and meet amazing people and more often than not, they're women that I might have never met otherwise without the internet. I found Faye's page, I think through Kate, who's a manager and trainer at Hype Gym in New York City, who reshared one of Faye's infographic posts. I looked back at the one on detoxes, which we are definitely going to talk about <laughs> in this episode. But I fell in love with your content and your personality and your attention to nuance. So I am so excited to have you here on as a guest. Thank you. That was quite the intro. I'm a little (laughs) bit um, lost for words, but thank you kindly. (laughs) And it's been really great connecting with you. Looking forward to having this conversation. Yeah, I'm so excited. I actually, I commented on Compound Performance, aka Kyle Dobbs. He put up a story of you recently, like starting your own thing. And he was like, I heard that you guys are connecting. I can't wait to listen to the podcast, like good people all around. And I was like, I didn't have enough enough good things to say about you. Amazing. Kyle's a man. Honestly, the last 12 (laughs) months of working with him has been really, really great. He's, He's a great guy. And Andrea and listeners for context, he runs like a strength and conditioning like based platform and has like a very opinionated Instagram that where he's like one of the less like controversial coaches. I like joke that he's like the stronger and like wiser and smarter version of my boyfriend because they look kind of similar. (laughs) (laughs) How does your boyfriend feel about that description? He agrees. He has to agree. (laughs) Yeah. And to that point, Faye, I'm not in the Mm -hmm. fitness community, but you know, Nikki has told me so much about you and she always talks to me about the different influencers in in the community. So I'm excited to learn more about your experiences. I think with the fitness community, we kind of see it as one type in, let's say, TikTok, uh, YouTube. There's always, and of course, Instagram, there's always like one type of fitness influencer. But I wanted Mm -hmm. to learn more about like, your experience with the fitness community, especially coming uh, from a Filipino woman and some of the difficulties Mm -hmm. that you have seen there? Well, firstly, so I started back in 2009 and there weren't as many female personal trainers when I started. Yeah. So the gym that I started off at was a corporate gym in the CBD and Uh, I think there were about 12 trainers at that time, only three of which were female. And I was brought on because there was a lot of demand from clients who were wanting to work with a female personal trainer specifically, but the the female trainers that were already working 
their books weren't completely filled. They didn't have any room. So I kind of was filling up numbers. I they, they needed someone to, to put more clients uh, in into their books. And I'm like, yeah, cool. Happy to do that. And yeah, it was, it was a little bit of a boys club, which to me, I it didn't bother me too much just because I grew up with two brothers, male cousins, that kind of stuff. I don't think that there were any particular sort of obstacles or challenges at the offset. But it's really interesting because so I I was about eight years old when I came to Australia and most people don't realise that I wasn't born here because when they speak to me, I have quite an Australian accent. Yeah, I'm um, very happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so it was always really interesting when I would call new clients over the phone to book them in for their initial sessions and that kind of stuff and I would wait at the uh at the foyer for whoever I had an appointment for and they would always look so confused because they knew that they were meeting someone named Faye but there was an Asian like this brown-skinned Asian girl that was waiting there and they couldn't put two and two together because I sounded so Australian on the phone and I guess their perception of what an Asian woman was like was just so completely different to the reality that was sitting there in front of them. So I think those were probably some of the um, observations that I had sort of early on. And then I think like in terms of beauty standards and, you know, what it's like for Asian women, it's it's really, really hard because like you said, the, like the rep- representation in the fitness industry is usually of women that are taller, thinner, fair-skinned. And as Asian women, like there's no way for us to be able to live up to that unless we do like cosmetic kind of interventions or that kind of thing. And so that's why I speak up a lot about representation because when you don't see people like yourself, you feel different, you feel other, you feel less than, and you don't feel like you meet up to to the standard. So, yeah, so I guess that I'm trying to bring more awareness to that. I love that. And we were talking about before, I was like giving Andrea like some context on how we knew each other and things that we've talked on. And I feel like maybe not like calling out like white women, Insta- like fitness Instagram, but mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. I feel like we both do have like strong views on it. And maybe I, because I am half white, like I am, mm-hmm. I get more privileges in that sense. But mm-hmm. it is like interesting, even just to like go up to you and not real, like because you didn't have like an Asian accent, like not be able to recognize mm-hmm. that you would be the trainer. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. I also did want to talk on, I know recently the Philippines women's national like football slash soccer team was qualified for the FIFA World Cup, which is huge. Yeah. Um, yes. I know like women in sports, especially in the Philippines, is like a big yeah. passion for you. And I'd love mm-hmm. to like talk mm-hmm. more on that. If we think about the Asian woman stereotype, right? Mm-hmm. To me, the Asian, like the stereotype, there are certain words that, that come up for me. And... And funnily enough, they seem to be on sort of different ends of the spectrum, but I'll go through it. So Asian women are thought to be meek and docile and quiet 
and subservient and deferential and obliging and you know those kinds of things and quite often because they are seen as those things they can be seen as objects and they become hypersexualized and fetishized right but then that same kind of hypersexualization and objectification it's kind of created this other end of of the spectrum of the stereotype where there are some women that are kind of seen as like dragon women who are like cunning and manipulative and they use their you know sexuality as a tool to manipulate and they're villainous and and that kind of stuff right so it's all quite negative honestly and it's all to do with like how Asian women appear and so for me I think it kind of moves more towards that whole body neutrality kind of spectrum so rather than just focusing entirely on someone's body for the way that it looks appreciating it for the things that it can do Right. And that's something that I work on quite a lot uh, with my clients and like sports and athletics is one of the areas that I feel like we can take so much inspiration from because, you know, you've got these women who, regardless of what color their skin is, whether they fit into these beauty standards, ideal beauty standards, they're accomplishing just some really, really phenomenal things. So if I can share more of that, bring more more light and more awareness to, to people like that, like I'm all for it. Hearing you talk about that, yeah, agree. Like Asian women are so sexualized. And then I also think about like, okay, my mom and my like Lola's like beauty ideals like growing up were very much like when I first started building muscle my mom was so upset about it Um, (laughs) and just like staying very like thin and like very like light like staying out Mm -hmm. of the sun and I was like like mom like you have like such traditional thoughts like this is so like non-progressive whatever but really like it is from this pressure of like looking a certain way and acting a certain way based on like the white like patriarchal like view of how Asian women should be. So it's like access to sports, like it has been so controlled for for Asian women and like all cultures be like largely due to some of that potentially. Yeah, like it's interesting to hear that your mom and your Lola's still have that that view and you say to them that's so not progressive, know. you know, we you've migrated over to the states, uh, that kind of thing, but that that stuff is so so deeply ingrained in the culture over there you know like I think for me I have the real benefit of having uh, lived the very early part of my childhood there and then growing up and experiencing adolescence in Australia and I think it kind of made me see the differences in the culture a lot more because like if we go back to that whole colonialism and and how that set the scene for Asians adopting European beauty standards, right? That's essentially what it is. Yeah. It's why Asian women want to be tall and thin and and fair skinned, because like the Europeans were considered elite, and we were seen as other. And in order for us to meet up to the, their standards we aspire to be thin and and tall and and fair and all those kinds of things and it's a class it's a class thing too because when you are um you know if when you're well to do or when you have more means in um asian countries or other developing countries 
typically you work in an office, right? You work a white collar job. So you would be indoors all day. So you wouldn't really be exposed to the sun. So then the people that are working class or living below the poverty line, they're the ones that are working, you know, hard laboring jobs outdoors where they're exposed to to the sun all day long, right? And so it's become synonymous, like skin colour has become synonymous with your station in life. And that's why still to this day, like if you look darker, people will make assumptions about, you know, where your family's from or, you know, how much money you have, what kind of car you drive. It's, it's, it's sad. I remember going to the Philippines for maybe like one of the first times I went and seeing all of like, like at the beauty stores or at the beauty counters, they would have all of these like skin lightening kits or like, Mm. like makeup Mm -hmm. things. And I would be like, Mm. I had never thought or like seen, I guess like products like that in the U.S. But like, I knew it was Mm. something for whatever reason, like internally growing up, like my skin color was something I was like kind of sensitive about, like kind of insecure about because I Mm. was like Mm. more tan and darker than all the other Mm. like white kids that I grew up with. So that was like a culture shock a little bit to me, like just knowing that that existed and like also like kind of like, huh, like I wonder if that would work. Like, should I try it? But obviously like never never actually trying it but yeah it's it is interesting like the even just like skin pigmentation and I mean no like we all know this by now like we've been talking about it I feel like especially over the last (laughs) couple of years but yeah I have a very interesting relationship with the whole skin coloring thing because you know there is that part where it's a whole class thing but like my mum and her side of the family are very fair-skinned so my my maternal grandmother like you wouldn't even think that she was fully filipina because she looks like she's sort of maybe chinese but with green eyes and some kind of spanish in the background which is literally what she's like right really petite so that's my mum's side of the family my dad's side of the family they definitely weren't working class they came from money but they were darker they were brown browner skinned right and unfortunately for for as a female I ended up inheriting more of my dad's side of things. So I, you know, I don't have the same coloring as my mom. I'm not built as petite as my mom. So when I first migrated to Australia, we actually moved to like a small Alpine region town, population of a couple of thousand. And literally the only non Caucasian family that lived in this town, which is about four hours away from Melbourne was an Italian family. So this would have been like in the late 80s, early 90s, and we stood out. Yeah. (laughs) We definitely stood out. And so because we stood out and because, you know, when you're kids, when you see something that's different, you're you're unsure about what this thing is. So we actually copped quite a lot of verbal abuse and bullying just for simply being browner than everyone else so one of my brothers is two years younger than me I don't know that he actually got as much of it as I did there were one or two boys not girls that were consistently sort of verbal verbally bullying and it's it really was usually because of the color of my skin it was you know constantly calling me things like brownie and and that type of stuff 
And I remember there was this one time, Nigel, I'll never forget his name. He, he said, he said to me, why don't you go back on your boat, Brownie? I was so damn confused. I was, I was so damn confused. I'm like, what boat? What boat are you talking about? We came over on a plane, right? My parents were both uh, GPs. They were both medical doctors in the Philippines. So, you know, whatever assumptions he made had about where I came from, it was so, like, off the map. Anyway, go back on your boat, Brownie. And it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne, probably 18 months after that, that I started seeing in the news and in newspapers about Vietnamese refugees and they were like colloquially referred to as boat people and I had this light bulb moment like Nigel thought I was from Vietnam just because I'm Asian and all Asian people look the same right and that's what what this whole go back on your boat thing kind of was referring to so anyway like that's the early part of you know skin and what it meant and that that kind of stuff as an adult I now actually find it really hilarious because you know here I was as a kid getting taunted and bullied for the color of my skin which I had zero control over and now oh actually not so much now but a few years ago when like tanning salons and tanning booths were all the rage I'm like you guys were making fun of me about this 20 years ago and now you're paying so much money so that you can have skin color like mine and it still will never look like my skin color right so I kind of feel like it's karma and I have a quiet giggle to myself and it's actually quite satisfying <laughs> like, huh Nigel <laughs> <laughs> yeah you're at the tanning bed Nigel yeah <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> Nigel, if you're out there, be warned. Sleep with one eye open. Look, to be fair, I'm I'm gonna give Nigel I'm gonna give Nigel the benefit of the doubt. I remember we lived on the same street, and I remember riding down my street after school on my bike, and he was on the porch with his dad. His dad, right? And his dad was yelling out racial abuse at me. An adult. An adult. Jesus. Yeah, so it's not Nigel. It's not Nigel's fault. He didn't know any better. That's that's where he That's learned. Disgusting. But, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's so crazy. Your whole story it just sounds like Nikki. We were talking about in an earlier episode uh, how I grew up in a predominantly white school, and I was one of the few Hispanics, and there weren't many of like Asian, African Americans, etc. So that type of bullying, especially with having like darker skin, not looking like others, that definitely resonated with me. And I love how you mentioned that years later, like the features that we were getting made fun of or being picked on are now trends. Because in the early 2000s, it was all about being like, like a stick figure, tall, blonde hair, blue eyes. And now, like you mentioned, tanning, there might be for more of like uh, the Hispanic background, like having like the curves, having the boobs, the butt. And then now the latest trend, which is the fox eye trend to make your eyes look a certain way, which has kind of the backing of people making fun of Asian people's eyes. And now it's a part of a trend. Yeah, there you go. So it's, it's really crazy to me. Yeah, I... 
Well, I know we like got off this topic, but I did want to also bring back Hidalin Diaz. Yes. Yeah. Is that how to pronounce yeah. it? Okay. I, I, think, I so. think so. It's not yeah. a common name. I was like, ooh, I should listen to a, like a YouTube video. Um, but she recently at the last Tokyo Olympics won a mm -hmm. gold medal in women's weightlifting for the Philippines. Yeah. Can you yeah. put into context at all, like how big this is for the Philippines and Filipino women? A, a couple of a couple of different points. So, like sports in general, apart from apart from maybe basketball and and boxing, sports in general isn't really that popular in terms of like pursuing it as a career. And like organized sport. Yeah, because if you think about it, like in developing countries. The priority is education because education is how you get yourself out of poverty and how you create a better life for yourself and, and you know, for generations after. Like sports kind of seems like a pie in the sky. It's not really realistic, you know what I mean? Like very few people make it in sports. But even then, it's there's only a couple of sports that really uh, us Filipinos are renowned for, which tends to be boxing because we've had quite a few boxers come through in the professional ranks and we've meddled in boxing before. And then basketball is the other one. Like we're not competitive <laughs> in basketball at all, but we've got a very professional basketball league in the Philippines. But it's all male, male dominated, right? You don't really often hear about females because it flies in the face of all of those different things that we expect of Asian women. Right. Because Asian women are meant to be, you know, soft and feminine and they shouldn't be bulky or muscular or yeah. they shouldn't um, exert themselves. Right. I still have to laugh whenever my mom says to me, if I bring the groceries in for her, just watch that you don't exert yourself. <laughs> handle that <laughs> this is why she's never seen any of my training videos because i'll never hear the end of it i will never ever hear the end of it so it's really not a thing over there and because it's not a thing there's no funding for it either like there's generally a lack of funding for females in sport anyway but definitely in a country definitely in a country like the philippines so for someone like this to give one of the greatest accomplishments that you can have as an athlete right with minimal support minimal funding like it's just it's incredible and I actually watched her at the London Olympics so I watched um her win the silver just just on my tv screen I wasn't over in London oh, but oh I thought it was were. just so close <laughs> no 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 but I, I I was already aware of her and I like even when she won the silver in London I was just so pumped for that so knowing that she was competing in Tokyo it was one of the things that was on my calendar I don't care what ridiculous time of day it's on I need to watch this thing yeah so that that was actually pretty cool but actually like my love of like women in athletics or sports or like weight training it goes back quite a bit further than Heidelin Diaz are you girls familiar with CrossFit some of the athletes that have come through CrossFit I'm familiar with CrossFit. I don't know the athletes yeah. that well, but potentially. Yeah. So, like I said, I started in 2009, and my personal training manager at the time, he was an elite-level track cyclist. 
So, you know, from him, I really learned to um, foster this love for training as a means to improving sporting performance, you know, not just training for aesthetics. I think there's a place for both, but I personally don't like focusing on just aesthetics because I think it makes you a little bit loopy. Anyway, during one of our development sessions, he showed us this video of a CrossFit workout. And this was like CrossFit in its infancy. It had only just started coming into the mainstream. But anyway, there was this workout and there were these three female athletes and the the workout was called Nasty Girls or Nasty Girls for you Americans. <laughs> and there was this, one of the three uh, athletes, her name was Annie Sakamoto. Sakamoto. So she was Japanese-American. And I remember just being so entranced by watching her, like I was so entranced by another woman exercising, but I was just so fascinated because there was this pocket rocket of a woman, right? She wasn't, at that time, she wasn't overly muscular, but you could tell that she definitely was strong and athletic and fit, Um, but this was in the early days. But the way that she just attacked this workout, she was doing, I think it was squat cleans and ring muscle ups and and I was just watching it. I, I don't even remember watching the other two women in that video. I was just watching Annie Sakamoto the whole time. And it was that first moment, really, of seeing seeing someone that looked like me, someone the same height, same colour hair, same length of hair at that time, <laughs> and just doing these really impressive strengths of uh, feats of strength and that was that was in earnest how I kind of fell down the whole CrossFit rabbit hole it was Annie Sakamoto all the way if you ever get a chance to check out the video I do suggest you check it out yeah I think we definitely will on that topic pre like how did you get into fitness like previous to even like joining this Mm. gym like did you grow up playing sports like Mm. how did that transition happen (laughs) no okay no, no, no sports. Uh, I played basketball very poorly when I was sort of in my high school days. I kind of did shot put and discus. I'd oh. always been more of like a power athlete, like cardio endurance based stuff. Just really, I was not built for it. Oh yeah. Um, which is why I sucked at basketball. <laughs> um, but really I, I didn't really play much sports through high school. So what happened was when I got to about the age of 16 or 17, I started having some health issues, like noticing a few odd little symptoms. Firstly, like I was gaining a significant amount of weight over, you know, the period of, I don't know, a few months, um, which is always fun when you're in high school oh, and going God. through puberty and you're already <laughs> self-conscious of yourself, yeah. right? But, but, but yeah. So, so that was happening. But then also my menstrual cycle had becoming extremely irregular. So I went from, you know, having a very predictable 28 day cycle to, you know, sometimes I would go three or four months without having uh, my period. Oh, wow. And then I started developing really severe cystic acne all over my face so it was it was quite hideous so again weight gain 
cystic acne all over my face that really wasn't fun in high school um and then the and then probably the the scariest thing was like I my hair started falling out in clumps when I was in the shower so you know I'd wash my hair and and I'd just be pulling out clumps and so you know obviously we had it checked out and everything like that I'll spare you the my whole drama of the uh whole diagnosis but end result was I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome um and so you know there was at the time not a lot was known about it um you know how to handle it um what the best approach was I basically was told I just need to lose weight but I was a teenager I didn't know how to do that I wasn't I I didn't know what healthy nutrition was or appropriate nutrition was for me. You know, most of my meals I didn't prepare myself because I still lived at home with my parents. I didn't exercise because um, I was bigger and I didn't feel comfortable exercising. Like carrying extra weight around is uncomfortable, like when you try to exercise. And you also kind of feel like other people might be looking and judging. So... I got to about the age of 21 um, and I kind of ballooned to my biggest uh, size. Um, so I got to about 110 kilos, which for you girls, uh, I think it would be somewhere in the vicinity of 230 to 240 pounds, maybe. You guys need to switch over to the, to the um, metric system. I feel like we do. Switch over to a lot of things. <laughs> <laughs> We're all so stubborn. Uh, for real. For, and yeah, so it really stemmed actually from my own health. I discovered exercise, I discovered nutrition, and within the first 12 months of really focusing on that, I lost about 20 kilos. And and the thing that was really prevalent as well in those years in between, you know, when I was 17 and 21 was that situation really, really affected my mental health. So depression is one of the symptoms for polycystic ovarian syndrome anyway. But it, it was exacerbated by the fact that I was so unhappy with my body image. And I remember, like, I'm, I'm quite introverted anyway. And growing up, I was always quite shy. And I remember there would be times in those, you know, years where I was so ashamed to be out in public. I remember walking through shopping malls and I would just look at the tiles and count the tiles so that I didn't have to make eye contact with other people. And so once I discovered exercise and nutrition, and obviously you feel better about yourself because you've got more energy and, you know, your clothes are fitting better and you're not puffed out as as easily as you were. But it really, really made such a huge impact on my mental health. And I think a lot of other things happened in between. But I got to this point where it was like, you know, I realized the power of this stuff. And you kind of feel like you've been given this secret. And it's so freaking awesome. Why wouldn't I want to share this secret with everyone else? Oh my god, I got chills. And I think that's that's <laughs> I think that's that's really the underlying thing of it. Like I've seen uh, how powerful of a difference it can make in someone's life, 
And if I can be someone that helps move other people from a place similar to where I was to, you know, not necessarily where I am now, but to where they want to be, like, that's pretty cool to do that as a job. Like, I would I would a hundred times over prefer to do that than, I don't know, like, sit in, off, sit in an office all day and answer phone calls and... Oh, I love that. So right after, like, during this time period when you start introducing exercise into your life, do you have, like, a different job or, like, did you start out in a different industry before finding the fitness industry? Yes, I was studying at the time I was in uni had no direction whatsoever didn't know what I want to do um but when you have Asian parents you need if you're not working you need to be studying (laughs) um so I was studying and I was working in retail at the time and then you eventually pivoted to that gym that you were talking about needed another woman a third woman out of the 12 yeah well, there was like this soul finding kind of journey. I fucking hate that word journey, by the way, but I can't find a better word. After I finished studying, I went on a backpacking trip. Um, I went to Singapore and then mostly through Western Europe, the States on either uh, coast, um, and then a few days in Canada. So I spent six months backpacking on my own for the majority of the trip. Um, I met friends here and there. I'm like had some family in Germany, and obviously I had family in the states because don't we all? If we're, if you're Filipino, but for me, because I was so shy and introverted as a kid, that trip where I pretty much didn't know any of the other languages, I didn't know anyone, and I was having to make friends and be social. It was so outside of my comfort zone that when I got back from that trip I thought to myself what am I going to do like I can't it was such a life-changing experience I can't imagine going back to the same life that I was living after coming back from that you know you see the like you see the Eiffel Tower and you see the Sistine Chapel and you see, you know, the Acropolis and you see all of these amazing things. And then what am I going to do? Go back to my retail job and, you know, go to the same nightclubs and get wasted with my friends every single weekend. It's like, you can't, you just can't. And so the trip kind of made me think, you know, you did that on your own. It was so outside of your comfort zone. You probably didn't think that you could do that. But what other things are there that you thought you couldn't do try it now and fitness was something the idea of it I had toyed with it before I'd left and finally when I came back like what have I got to lose just try it I feel like I I'm at a corporate job I've been at a corporate job forever or at least for my whole adult life Fitness has always been a huge part of my life, or at least like since like high school has been a huge part of my life. But it wasn't until like three years ago where I just like, I had been thinking about it for a while. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to get like my certified personal or my personal training certification. So I just got it. I like had no idea what I was going to do with it. I like still barely know what I'm going to do with it. But I just like (laughs) tried little things and I'm still like, like, I feel like one day that that moment will happen for me where I'm like, 
I don't need to sell my soul at this like corporate company. Like I can, I can pursue my passion. Um, but it's inspiring hearing yeah. your story and, and doing that and realizing like, if I could do all this, like I can, I can do anything. Do you know what? You, you probably don't realize that there are so many skill sets that you've developed uh, through the course of your um, working career that you are easily um, transferable to the fitness industry. Like for me, so when I was working in retail, I was a service supervisor at a, a shop. It, it was probably similar to what your Walmart is, right? Or similar to a, a Target. And the things that I learned uh, working um, in retail, there's so many things that, that have um, helped me as a personal trainer, you know, just in terms of being able to relate from to people from all different walks of life. And then when you're, you know, when you're working in customer service, in particular as a service supervisor, most of the time, by the time that people got to me, they were already really pissed off and they wanted to take it out of someone else. So I had to be good at, you know, like getting people to calm down and, and you know, that type of thing. But I mean, you know, like I'm sure there'd be different examples, but the stuff that you could take from what you currently do that, you know, people like myself don't don't have. And you can use that to your advantage. I love that you mentioned that. I mean, we are on the Shy and Salty podcast, so we both identify as being shy as well. And I agree with you as far as like that transferable skill and being able to calm others down is something that I've been known for at my work. But mm. as far as like being shy and like the fitness industry, what advice would you give for especially women who are trying to start their fitness, fitness, like going to the gym or just trying to find the right uh, method for themselves? This is probably going to sound biased, but I would definitely say work with someone initially, like work with a personal mm -hmm. trainer. So the very first personal trainer that I worked with was actually my best friend's neighbor who had literally just finished his Cert 3 and Cert 4. And so my best friend's boyfriend and I would do these two-on-one PT sessions at ridiculously, ridiculously cheap price, right? But he'd just finished, so he, was, he just was trying to build his business and whatever. And even though I look back on how basic it was, it really actually set me up because I knew how to uh, use the most basic machines, right? And... You know, I was able to train safely. I was able to work hard. And I was lucky enough in that the gym environment that he was um, training us out of, it was so, um, it was just so different from the usual kind of gym. It basically was this little gym in the suburbs. And the clientele consisted of middle-aged men in stringer tops thinking that they were bodybuilders and then me as like a 20 year old Asian female you know what I mean I I was I was the youngest by by far I there was only a handful of other women but they were just so accommodating and they you know if I had any questions like that would help me out and actually at that particular gym they would write you programs as well so something like that where someone can provide you some kind of structure or then, you know, my other experience immediately after that was I went to a 
big box gym and I understand like so many of my clients are so intimidated by big big box gyms but what I actually enjoyed about that was like after I left the first gym that I was at I didn't know how to write my own training program I would go to this big box gym because it was closer to the city so it was closer to uni and closer to to work but I would go in there and I had no idea how to use anything and so I found the the group fitness classes and I know as personal trainers, we poo-poo the group <laughs> fitness classes and that kind of stuff. But honestly, like, like you don't have to think about it. The music was always motivating because it was upbeat. You know, often you end up seeing the same people over time. So you kind of, you know, develop friendships in those classes. And you got sweaty, you got a workout in. And, you know, if, if that kind of thing helps build consistency and it's a gateway to then, you know, doing proper structured uh, weight training, I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. So that would probably be my advice for, for people that are wanting to get in there. Find a space that you feel comfortable in. Seek help. You know, don't try to do it alone. Or go with a friend, you know. I'm, I'm really big on exercising, you know, turning into a, a kind of like a social outlet. Nikki and I were talking about how her love language is quality time. And I feel the same way because <laughs> in order for me to do like new activities or sometimes with the pandemic, even going outside, I always either need a purpose or just someone to be with so that I like am comfortable in the space. So I definitely agree with like going to the gym uh, with someone uh, who you're familiar with or a friend and that's what I did a lot with uh, Nikki in college. We would go to the gym together and she would show me mm -hmm. some of her exercises. Yeah, back when oh, I nice. didn't know anything. <laughs> I don't know, those ab workouts were killer. <laughs> just like 50 crunches. It's just, you'll feel something. <laughs> Not efficient. Uh, you know what, sometimes, sometimes I miss those simpler times you know you just did stuff because it felt good because you felt like you were getting something out of it now I think sometimes we can overthink it and go way so too true. far the other end so and so on that topic of like being comfortable in the gym and like finding spaces that you feel comfortable in or like bringing a friend for people that don't maybe are starting out at the gym and want to build that like confidence in the gym and like maybe are insecure about like their body currently or even just their ability besides like a personal trainer or um, working out with someone are there other things that you suggest that like can make your experience just better firstly I think just wearing something that you're comfortable in I, I think that's an underrated thing like if you are wearing something that is too tight and you've kind of it, it it kind of um, reminds you of how uncomfortable you are in your own body. So wear something that you're comfortable in. And then try to keep in mind that most people are f probably feeling very similar uh, like feelings to you. But actually, at the end of the day, no one's paying attention because <laughs> they are too busy thinking about how awkward they feel to pay attention to what you're doing. I think that's that's the biggest thing that, that I, I learned. Working in a commercial gym, yeah, it just pe people are just w too busy thinking about how they look and whether they're fitting in to really worry about you. And then maybe finding, like, a quieter corner 
where maybe there's not as much foot traffic or that kind of stuff. I know not all gyms have the luxury of having it like a female-specific section, but certainly in all the commercial gyms that I've ever worked at, there were always kind of pockets of the gym where the women sort of tended to frequent. And then there was like the area that we affectionately called the gorilla pit where all the guys <laughs> used to hang out. So may, maybe avoid the gorilla pit. Like if you can if you can smell sweat and you can hear grunting and you can hear dumbbells being dumped on the floor, maybe don't head to that section yeah. first. That's a great tip. So I took my mom yeah. to my like home like Gold's gym back when I lived at home still like post college. Um, and I guess I like just never really thought about like I had definitely been insecure, like walking around the gym or like, no, like, I feel like there's this like common sense of insecurity when you like don't know how to work a machine or like how to like set it to your like body, that like internal like panic initially. But like, I never really felt like truly like uncomfortable at that gym specifically. I think also because I had one, like learned a lot up until that point and two, like my body was very like socially accepted as like a body that goes to the gym or that belongs mm. in the gym. So bringing my mom there and like bringing her to like, I guess the gorilla pit of Gold's gym, I realized like, oh, like I get why she's not comfortable here. Like this is scary. Like, especially for like an older woman and like a place with like these huge, like, like not I not no judgment, but like roided up like men, like I and grunting and like throwing weights everywhere. Like yeah. I totally get her like feeling unsafe yeah. here. And I think that's such a huge part yeah. of like adherence to the gym and like being consistent and feeling comfortable in your body is just mm -hmm. like having a safe environment and like building up that confidence to mm -hmm. like show up at the gym and take space at the gym. Yeah, it's definitely very challenging to na navigate um, when you've got, you know, body image stuff going on as well as being brand new to the environment and not knowing how to use any of the equipment like there's a lot yeah there's a lot and on, on the topic of body image and like I guess your experience pre-social media I, I hope like with social media growing with um applications like Instagram and like very like picture and image heavy um platforms growing how do you feel mm -hmm. that body image has mm -hmm been changing like I guess yeah <laughs> that's a can of worms <laughs> I'm ready for it so so just to, look, all right so just to give you some some context so I said that I started personal training in 2009 so this is how how long ago this was uh I like to I like to poke fun of myself at how old I am but 2009 I had an iPhone 3, right? That was the current iPhone at the time. And Instagram, I think, only launched that year or maybe even the following year. It wasn't even a thing. Like, no one had Instagram. It was still Facebook back then. Our parents and grandparents weren't on Facebook back then. We all were. This is how long ago this was, right? So what I what I noticed, and this was well before a lot of the conversation has popped up around it, is that like there's definitely a lot more um, a lot more emphasis on aesthetics. There's a lot more social comparison. 
because you can do it. Like you pick up your phone, you know, it's really easy to just scroll. And the hard thing is that like for women of my generation, if you grew up in the 90s, you know, you would compare yourself to, let's say, you know, the Kate Mosses and the Cindy Crawfords um, of the world, but they were in magazines, right? They were in magazines uh, and they were airbrushed sort of photos in magazines. So you had to kind of go out of your way to be able to see these images. Whereas now, like, you could be looking at images of women all day long if you really wanted to, right? Because, like, the social media, you can, you just have 24-7 access to it. And so not only do you have access to these highly sort of airbrushed um, images of celebrities, models, athletes, the worst thing is that people that you know, like real-life normal people, are also applying all these filters on their photos, right? So, like, I think as the generations have gone on, the perception of, you know, what is achievable has changed so much, right? Like, if that person next door can look like that, then I should be able to look like that too. When it was just supermodels, like, you couldn't, it wasn't the same because you're like, oh, yeah, I can never look like that. Whereas now um, I've heard about this, um, I forget what the actual terminology is, but I think it's called Snapchat dysmorphia or something along that those lines where, so girls are actually going to plastic surgeons' offices and showing them images of themselves, not of celebrities, images of themselves that they have modified through apps, right, and shown the plastic surgeon these modified pictures of themselves and go, can you give me a nose like I like the nose that I made for myself in this photo? That's crazy. Crazy, no, right? Yeah, and Nikki crazy. and I were talking about BBLs and how that was a huge trend, and especially with on social media – you know, when these folks that either enhance their body surgically or through a filter, you aren't aware. And like you were saying, it's achievable if they are, if they look like that, and this is the program that they're providing to everyone, then I would be able to look like that, but not taking into consideration, you know, everything behind the scenes that is being done in order to show you that picture perfect image. And what we were talking about with BBLs is that, you know, the Kardashians are well known for having BBLs for the longest time, even though they won't admit it. And once folks found out, started paying for them, which was like you were saying, and it became achievable. Mm -hmm. That's when the trend started dying down. That's when they, a lot of folks that mm -hmm. had the money were able to get it out because now that it's a trend and it's achievable, then it's on to the next thing. So it's very interesting to see like these kind mm -hmm. of evolutions of what people will put themselves through to look like something that at the end of the day wasn't achievable to begin with. Mm. Yeah. So I, I don't know if I've actually ever said this to anyone. I've definitely thought it. So over the years, like when I've had a, a new client lead, so let, when I was working at the big box gyms, if I had a, a, an appointment with a new lead that I'd never met before, 
one of the things that I actually used to do was look them up on Facebook. Firstly, like I actually only started doing it just so that when the person turned up at reception, I knew who I was looking for, right? But then over the years, like I I continued to do this and I was starting to kind of like see a trend or I thought I could see a trend. Um, and for me at least, I could see a correlation between the amount of selfies that a woman had on her Instagram feed with the level of anxiety that she had about her aesthetics. So actually, initially, when I was looking at social media, it was just a, what on earth does this person look like so I don't talk to the wrong person accidentally. It almost kind of became a research into the psyche of the person that I was about to meet just so that I kind of had an idea of what challenges I might have when I'm coaching them, not just on the gym floor, but going through, you know, like body image and certainly relationship with food. Because the thing that I notice on social media is you can have like two extremes. You can have, you know, the ones that have just got like, constant selfies and all these highly doctored highly filtered and you know images where they don't even look like they have pores anymore right they don't even look human but then I would also notice that there would be some feeds of people that have zero photos of themselves right and to me that's kind of like like when I was much bigger when I was like 40 kilos heavier good luck trying to get a photo of me because I did not want to take one, right? And whatever clothing I wore, the purpose of it was, one, to feel comfortable, but two, to hide as much of the body that I felt ashamed of inhabiting, right? So this, like, very conscious of, of being seen. So I noticed this trend of, like, people who had social media accounts that never had any photos of themselves, when I met them in person, they tended to be more of that, 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 that person who wore the big baggy clothes and didn't want to be seen. That's just, that's just what I picked up on. I don't know whether anyone else has picked up on that, but yeah. No, I feel like there are studies done about like how many uh, selfies you post in a row and what it means about you. So I've definitely heard Mm. that in the past, especially when it's like just uh, more attention. I'm very interested to like learn more on that. Mm. But you hinted on when you were uh, bigger and your experience Mm. is there. But I'm curious to see when you were on the path of losing weight, did you see differences in the treatment that other people had for you or quote unquote the skinny privileges that you received afterwards whether it's in the fitness community or just in everyday life I can't speak to skinny privileges because uh, despite the amount of weight that I've lost I'm still not a Lulu size zero and you know fitness influencers by fitness influencers standards I still don't really fit that mold so I don't I don't think I've quite reached privilege status and to be honest I'm not sure that I want it. But um but definitely a lot more comments about oh you look so good and you know like you look so healthy and those kinds of things. 
which, you know, people, it comes from a good place, but, um, but commenting on people's bodies is never a good idea because you don't know what it took for that person to lose that weight. And it might not necessarily been a healthy way of losing the weight. Um, you know, because if all you've seen is that person has dropped, uh, 20 kilos in the last six months, yeah, cool. But maybe they were exit, like they were eating 1200 calories a day and then exercising multiple times a day in order to get to that weight. Right. And then, and then you've just given them a pat on the back and congratulated them on, you know, um, on the, the unhealthy behaviors they have taken part in in order to get to a body size that you think is healthier. Yeah, I I love that. I feel like we've had an episode recently where we talked a lot about like weight stigma and our relationship with our bodies and commenting on people's bodies, even if it like sounds like a positive or a compliment, it's not necessarily like going to be Mm. taken like that Mm. and you should just like keep your comments to yourself about other people's Mm. bodies but also on that topic Mm. I was curious because I know with me too like I have been working out for x number of years I like have like strength goals I have like non-aesthetic goals but there is a huge part of me especially and it's changed uh, but it's like still there that like does care like as as much as I exercise or as much as I like want to say like it's for these other goals I feel like there is this huge like body image um pressure and especially being a like personal trainer or being in the fitness industry like an increased pressure of like looking a certain way or like fitting a certain mold um and I love again you saying like yeah I don't necessarily want to like look the way that people like that like is the influencer look or anything but what are more Mm. i guess like what are tips for um fitness and personal trainers in terms of providing content that doesn't focus on the way your body yeah so one really big thing that i um have done with my clients for a long time is like even if they reach some kind of a body composition goal, to not comment on the goal itself. Like I don't ever say, hey, well done for losing the 20 kilos, right? Because it kind of reinforces that whole notion of, well, the weight was the problem, you know, and and good for you for being, for weighing less and taking up less space. So what I have gotten in the habit of doing um, in you know, for the better part of the last few years is giving them feedback or giving them praise for the effort that they've put in. So rather than, hey, well done, your your two dress sizes smaller than you were a few months ago, it's, hey, like, well done for being so consistent with turning up at the gym, with doing all your meal prep, like your lifestyle has changed so much from when you started here to where it started here. And, you know, and that has been the thing that has allowed you to achieve the outcome that you've wanted to achieve, right? Because it's not for us to say that, you know, people shouldn't have body composition goals. Uh, This is something that I've seen 
uh, a lot recently. I don't know if you girls have seen much of this, but it's as we've gone into this whole body positivity sort of realm, it's now almost not okay to want to lose weight. And the client's goal is always the client's goal. I'm not there to dictate what, what that is for them. I'm there to support them if that's what they want to do. But if that's what they want to do, I'm not going to boil down their entire self-worth to them now being smaller than what they were a few months ago. You know, it's always going to come down to, you know, like what it was that they did, what strengths they had that they relied on to be able to get to that end goal and then you know what other things that we can work on moving forward so that they can they can maintain that goal yeah so I think that's that's probably one thing yeah totally agree on like the body autonomy and the like you can want to lose weight and you're not wrong for wanting that but also like questioning maybe like why do I want to lose this weight and like the societal standards that may have been like put on you too I know we have to like wrap up soon I feel like we could talk to you forever um but one last (laughs) question what is your favorite detox do you have a favorite detox tea (laughs) no (laughs) look the word favorite and detox they just are not two words that I ever use in the same sentence really not flat tummy tea um (laughs) unless you're talking about detoxing people from my social media feed or like detoxing them from my contact list on on my phone it's just no no detoxes here detox free zone is that except for your liver which like i guess could detox stuff (laughs) yes maybe that's what it was created for so I guess before we go, a couple quick questions. Wanted to close out with one. Who do you recommend uh, following as part of the fitness community? Do you have any that you would recommend to our followers? That's a tricky one because most people that I follow tend to be more educators. I don't really follow influencers per se. So your listeners may not be as enthused as I am about all the biomechanics stuff that I tend to to go to Instagram for. But, you know, a couple of accounts, they're not strictly, they're not strictly kind of all fitness related, but Zoe Lee is probably one that I can think of. You know, she's been open in the past about having had, um, you know, disordered eating or an eating disorder and, you know, how she's come out of that. And, you know, a lot of the messaging that she has around nutrition is, uh, so much more positive than than some of the stuff that's come out in um, previous uh, times. And then I actually just like following people that either you know point out some of the like um, some of the stereotypes that are out there, people that kind of poke fun at some of those things. So like Celeste Barber, I don't know if you girls are familiar with her. She's an Australian comedian. But she parodies a lot of celebrity photos. Um, And so Celeste Barber is, um, she's definitely not like a stick thin kind of model. She's more of your like everyday woman kind of physique, right? And so she, on her Instagram feed, you'll see a picture, like a highly stylized sort of magazine shoot picture of a celebrity. 
And then she's doing just a really ridiculously over the top, just impersonation of the photo just in her own unique way and it just like it's one of the things that just brings me so much joy it like you have to have a quick quick look at her face. I feel like I've seen her stuff before and appreciated it yeah I'm, I'm sure you would have I'm sure you would have and then Jamila Jamil is probably another one again she's not strictly like a fitness influencer but you know when celebrities have come out with endorsements for products that just that are just so you know, diet culture and really harmful. Um, she really, um, you know, shines a light on that kind of stuff. So I think like her stuff is really good um, because of that. I love that she also, she like exposes like Photoshop and like doesn't let like companies like Photoshop mm -hmm. her. Yeah, she's great. And Sohi mm -hmm. Lee too is, I love her stuff. I love that she mm -hmm. even like admits now, like, the things that she's changed her view on in like the past, like in her, her time mm. being a influencer slash like personal trainer, CSCS. Yeah. But yeah, she has so much knowledge. I also love that she calls out like institutions like the ISSN when they're being racist mm. or sexist or whatever. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, yeah, so she's she's probably one that I gravitate to because Asian woman, True. right? Um, there's not a lot of us in the fitness space. Like how many, how many, uh, women of Asian descent can you think of that have a humongous name in the fitness industry? I can't really think of any apart from Zoe Lee and then Jamila Jamil, you know, she's not in the fitness space, but she speaks a lot about being a woman of color and, you know, the kind, the kinds of treatment that she has gotten because she's a woman of color and how, you know, different standards are applied to her than what are applied to, you know, um, Caucasian um, celebrities or influencers. I know this question wasn't for me, but I think you would also really like Stephanie Buttermore, who is also of Asian descent and posts a lot of like science-based, yes. um, science-based stuff and anti like, yeah. like diet culture stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad that you brought her up because she had that really interesting thing where she was following uh, her uh, story of trying to put some weight back on because she was preparing for like photo shoots and, and comps for many years. And I think she, I think she'd lost her, um, menstrual cycle or something like that. And her doctor had told her that in order for her to regain her menstrual cycle and, and whatever, she had to actually regain some body weight because she was too lean for too long. Yeah. I forget what project it was too, but she like ate like as much as she like could until she like felt satiated to fix her like metabolism and her appetite um, because it was just so like messed up from years and years of competing and like going through bulks and cuts and staying at like such a low body weight but anyway like what's your handle where can we find you how could people like sign up for your training I know you have a lot like in the works for this year that I'm so excited to hear about <laughs> I do, I do. So Instagram handle is very unoriginal. It's just Faye McPayer. Uh, so it's just at Faye McPayer. The website isn't quite up yet. It's coming. But um, so it's Amplify Strength and Performance. And I have just started my in-person training business as of last week. And I am currently taking remote coaching clients as well as nutrition consults. And I can do that via Zoom. So you don't need to live in Melbourne to be able to do that. 
best way to contact me at this stage probably through my dms if you're on instagram or uh, my email address f.mateo at gmail.com thank you so much thank you it was a great chat like we kind of went through so many different uh, things it's great that's usually how it is on the show i don't know if it's ADHD or what but we jump on so many different topics <laughs> but yeah we really enjoyed having you here today i'm so excited that you know nikki brought us all together so i'm i'm very happy to see you know more badass women in the community and excited to see where your future goes from here and that's a wrap follow us on twitter instagram and tiktok at shy and salty where you can dm us with questions and stories slash topics that you would like us to cover for future episodes thanks again for listening to shy and salty take care of yourselves and see you next tuesday